Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. For our sermon today, we're going to be going from verse 21 through verse 34. I'm going to read the passage and pray, jump right into the sermon. Hear now the word of God. And they went in Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May its truth be ever written on our hearts. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you have spoken. We pray, reveal Christ to us in this text, that we may know him better and love him more. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who has authority in your life? Who has the right to give you commands, to make decisions for you, or to enforce your obedience? Who has the power or right to command your belief, your actions, and your obedience? Who has authority over you? Authority is, quote, the power or right to command belief, action, or obedience. End quote. There are easily a dozen different answers any one of us could give to this question. Your boss has a certain amount of authority in your life. Your doctor has a certain amount of authority in your life. Your spouse probably has a certain amount of authority in your life. The Bible actually lays out three primary authorities in every Christian's life. The government has the authority of the sword to protect, defend, and punish their citizens. The church has the authority of the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose its members. And the parent has the authority of the rod to correct their children. Along with these, the Bible lays out a number of other authorities, husbands, managers, pastors, many more. In some ways, the Bible suggests that everyone has some authority. God has made us to be rulers in his rule. And I am not naive enough to neglect that there are fallen sinful people, in fact, we all are, who often take advantage of their authority to oppress, harm others. But there is a good type of authority. In fact, people long for good authority. 
if a company has a good boss and there is defined roles within the company, people generally want to work there. We long for a good president or we want people to have good parents. Most people don't want total anarchy. We just want the people who are in authority to use their authority well. Now, time does not allow me to go into all the different ways authority works in the Bible. The thing to realize is that true authority ultimately comes from God. John MacArthur writes, quote, In a biblical worldview, original and ultimate authority resides with God and God alone. God did not inherit authority. There is no one to bequeath it to him. God did not receive his authority. There is no one to bestow it to him. God's authority did not come by way of election. There is no one to vote for him. God did not earn his authority. It was already his. He goes on to say God's authority becomes obvious and unquestionable when we consider three facts. First, that God created the heavens and the earth and all that exists therein. Second, that God owns the earth, all it contains, and those who dwell on it. And third, in the end, God will consume it all, just as he declared, end quote. So as Christians, we must realize that it is God who has ultimate authority, because he created everything. And because he created everything, he owns everything and has the right to rule over it. Because God is God, he has the power and the authority and the right to command the beliefs and actions and obedience of everything. And so ultimately, God has the authority to command us. And he has the authority to delegate his authority to all the other people who God puts in our lives to have authority over us. But it's ultimately God who has authority over us. The problem is because of the fall, sin has entered the world. We have all rejected God's authority. And because of the rejection of God's authority, there is now pain and sorrow and death and disease. Because we rejected God's authority, there's now a cosmic conflict where God's good design is out of order. And our souls are trying to be won by the powers and principalities of Satan and his demons in this world. So, because Jesus came to conquer the powers of sin and death, because Jesus bound the strong man of Satan, and Jesus restores fallen creation, we can see there's a new way of authority. And really, that's what Mark is writing about here. Mark is saying that Jesus shows us something of the authority of God. And so it seems to me that Mark shows us that Christ's authority brings restoration. This whole passage takes place in a day. It's a Saturday Sabbath in Israel. And so in verse 21, we see Jesus enters a synagogue and starts teaching. But here's the interesting thing. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus taught. He doesn't tell us what the lesson was or quote any of the lesson or his teachings. Because for Mark, it's not about the content of Jesus' teachings. But simply that his teaching is authoritative. Jesus' teaching is authoritative. 
And really, that's what this passage is about. Mark is saying that Jesus has a unique authority as Christ, the Son of God. And this is important because Mark shows that Christ's authority brings about restoration. So Mark makes very clear the thing that makes Jesus' teaching unique, the thing that makes it important, is its authority. Mark is saying that there is something of Jesus' teaching, something in his demeanor, something in who he is that has the power and right to command people's belief, action, and obedience. Mark makes that point in verse 22. He says, he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. You see, the way Jesus taught, the authority he had was different, was unique from the scribes. The scribes were a type of religious leader in first century Judaism. Their primary function was to convey the traditions of the Jewish people. Whereas Jesus wasn't concerned about traditions or what everyone else thought, because he spoke by his own authority. You see, the scribes were a little bit like research theologians. I don't know a better way to describe it. You see, a good scholar doesn't write a paper just about whatever they think. Rather, they have to give evidence for what their opinion is based off sources. If you've ever written an academic research paper, rather in high school or in college, then you might remember that you had an opinion called a thesis, and then your paper would go on to give evidence supporting that statement in order to convince your reader of your interpretation. And the scribes were a lot like ancient biblical researchers. They were studying the text and looking at the evidence of how their people had interpreted it and applied it for generations. And they did that in order to come up with the most reasonable set of beliefs about God. But Jesus didn't teach that way. He didn't have to. You see, we can't trust ourselves. We need to know that our ideas are supported and founded in research and reason. Like a scholar, the Jewish scribes needed to prove that their beliefs were in line with what their people had claimed and the evidence they had. But Jesus isn't a scholar or a scribe. He's a lot more like an author telling you what actually happened. He's more like an inventor telling you how his machine works. Think about it like this. There's a lot of people who are obsessed with Star Wars. They can quote all sorts of facts and know all the lines, all of that. But there's a few things that they can debate on for hours. The internet is full of little debates. How did the Jedis join the war? Or how does the lightsaber actually work? There's no scene or line that actually tells you for certain. And so fans research and provide evidence and support their sources. But if George Lucas comes forward, the creator of Star Wars, if he comes forward and gives an answer to one of those questions, there's no dispute. He wrote it. He has the authority to say what it really is. Jesus has that kind of authority. The reason why Jesus is able to teach with this kind of authority is because he is Christ, the Son of God, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. He is God, the creator and sustainer of the world. He is the author of creation entered into human form. And so when he speaks, he speaks with all authority. And he has every right 
to command our beliefs, our actions, and our obedience. When you realize that this is how he teaches, you realize just how astonishing that is. The reason why in verse 22 everyone is so astonished with his teaching is he has this kind of authority. John Piper reminds us that the authority of Jesus is astonishing. If you are not astonished at the authority of Jesus, you are not paying attention, or your heart, owing to what, is shriveled up and distorted in its capacity to be astonished at the astonishing. And you need help. You need healing. End quote. Brothers and sisters, if you think you understand Jesus, but you are not astonished at his teachings, if you are not hanging on every word that comes from his mouth, then you do not understand. If you don't spend every second astonished that the creator of the universe entered into human form and spoke to you, then you do not understand this kind of authority. You do not understand how amazing and beautiful and important this moment is that Mark is describing. Because in this passage, Mark shows us two parallel events that demonstrate Jesus' authority. Two stories that show us who Jesus is and how astonishing his authority really is. In verses 23 through 28, we see his authority over demons. And in verses 29 through 31, we see his authority over sickness. His authority over demons and his authority over sickness. In verse 23, a man comes into a synagogue, a Jewish holy place, and he has what Mark calls an unclean spirit, a demon, if you will. And when he's confronted with the authoritative teachings of Jesus, the demon freaks out. Verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I don't want you to get caught up on thinking about demons here, because that's not his point. For Mark, he just assumes them. Demons are unclean spirits, spirits that are working against the goodness of God's design. And one of the ways the Bible says demons work against God's design is through lies. For yes, John 8 does say that Satan is the father of lies. And so when faced with the authority of the Son of God, the deception of these unclean spirits is challenged. When faced with Jesus' teachings, the demons lose their primary weapon against us. And if people today possess such falsehood, when they're faced by truth, they will also feel like they're being destroyed. I'm not saying that every lost sinner, every non-Christian is possessed by demons. But I am saying that they are deceived by lies and falsehood. And we can expect that if they are actually faced with the authoritative teachings of Jesus, like the demons in this text, they will feel challenged. But here's the thing. The demons know who Jesus is. The text says the demons know who he is. We cannot assume that knowing about God is enough. James 2.19 says you believe that God is one and you do well. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, the demons know who God is, and this is no surprise to them that Jesus here on earth is the Son of God. So when Jesus rebukes them in verse 25, they can't help but to obey. This is a place where many of us need a better understanding of the Bible's teachings on demons, because Satan and the demons are ultimately no threat to God. God is so sovereign and powerful that he is even over them. The Bible makes abundantly clear that not even the demons are outside of God's ultimate control. And so when the Holy One of God commands the demons to come out of this man, they cannot help but to obey him. And this leads me to wonder, if the demons so easily obey Christ, why don't we? If the demons so easily obey Christ, then why don't we? If they understand who he is, why don't we? And I can't help but to conclude that the reason is is because we either don't know who Jesus is or because we choose to reject him as who he is. You see, there's three basic reasons why people do not heed Jesus' teachings. One is because they do not know them. If you do not know what Jesus teaches, you do not know his word, how can you obey it? The second is because they reject who Jesus is. If you know what Jesus teaches, and you know that the claim is that he is Christ, the Son of God, the only reason to disobey, the only logical conclusion, is because you refuse to accept that he really is the Christ, the Son of God. And the third way is kind of a combination of the other two. You see, there are people who know some of Jesus' teachings. They know some of who Jesus is, but they don't take the time to really understand. And so they accept part of Jesus, but not the whole thing, and they end up disobeying him, even though they think they're following him. And sadly, I think this is true of many so-called Christians today. People know that Jesus saves us from our sin, but they don't understand that Jesus is Lord. People like the great commandment, love God and love neighbor, but we neglect that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. People love that Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, but we neglect that Jesus also said that he will one day say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Many so-called Christians today only accept part of Jesus' teaching part of his authority, part of who he is. They end up creating an idol, a false image, because they do not know him truly. And so when they imagine Jesus, when they follow Jesus, they're actually following something else. But when everyone in the synagogue that day saw Jesus' authority over the demons, they couldn't help but to be amazed. When you understand Jesus' teachings, it's astonishing. But when you see it, it's amazing. When you come to see for yourself what Jesus is capable of doing, it's amazing. It leads you to question everything else you understand. To ask, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. If you realize what Jesus' teachings do, you can't help but to be filled with wonder and amazement. But this isn't just a spiritual truth. Jesus' authority isn't just over heaven and hell and over the spirits. But Jesus' authority is over everything. 
So Mark continues by showing Jesus' authority over sickness in verses 29 through 31. We see that when they are done in the synagogue, they go into Peter's home and his mother-in-law is sick. The text says she is ill with a fever. So according to Mark, this isn't a demon, but something altogether different. And yet Jesus comes, takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and immediately the fever leaves her body and she serves them. Jesus has ultimate authority to command demons and to relieve fevers. We see Jesus has authority over demons and authority over sickness. What a wild thing this is. With a touch, the fever cannot remain. But oddly, he doesn't say anything here. Mark's talking about his teaching, but here he doesn't say a word, he just touches her. According to Randy Alcorn, quote, our Lord proved his authority through his miracles, end quote. I say this because we need to realize that Jesus' authority is not bound up in his teaching, but is displayed by his teaching. Jesus' authority is not bound up in his miracles, it's displayed by his miracles. You see, Jesus' authority goes beyond what he says and does because it's about who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then how can he not have ultimate authority? He has the authority of God. Jesus has authority over everything. For it is written that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he is using it for the restoration of creation. That's ultimately what Mark is showing us, that Christ's authority brings restoration. You see, demon possession and sickness and death and sorrow and pain are all effects of sin. They're effects of living in a fallen, broken world. If you think back to the Eden story, you remember that God created the world good. And there was no sin, there was no death or sickness or demon possession of any kind. And everything was according to God's good design. But Adam and Eve were tempted by that evil and wicked serpent to disobey God, to go against God's authority. And when they rejected God's authority, sin fractured the goodness of God's perfect design. And on this side of the fall, on this side of Genesis 3, people get sick and people may even be possessed by demons. But this is all an effect of rejecting God's ultimate authority. But Jesus came with a new kind of teaching, a teaching with authority. And this authority is able to restore the demon-possessed man, to restore the sick. This authority conquers death, and this authority ends pain and suffering. This authority is the authority of God's command, the authority which we have challenged since Eden. And Mark is showing us that Jesus' authority restores the way God meant everything to be. And so Jesus' followers can rejoice in Christ's authority because his authority brings restoration. His authority brings renewal and redemption. And so if we accept that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God, if we accept that he has every right to command our beliefs, our actions, and our obedience, if we commit to following it, We are joining in his work of restoration in the world. We are joining in his work to bring us back from the fall. 
to bring us back to the goodness of God's original design. And ultimately, that's what he came to do, for it is written, the saying is trustworthy and worthy of complete acceptance that Christ came in the world to save sinners. He came to save us from sin. And sin, in some capacity, is the rejecting of God's authority. Christ came to the world to restore God's authority. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with the brokenness of the world in this life, and you feel like everything is working against you, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get ahead. I want you to ask yourself, whose authority are you following? I'm willing to bet it's not ultimately Jesus. You're probably not following an authority that's restoring you to the goodness of God's design. You're probably following yourself or your friends or what you see on TV. Because that's just going to keep leading you away from God's good design. And I'm willing to bet it's going to be a hard road, but you will get there through choosing daily to follow after Christ, to put off yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. In the last three verses here, verses 32 through 34, we see that the whole city gathered as he restored those who were sick and oppressed by demons. Brothers and sisters, this kind of authority is astonishing to hear, awesome to see, and attractive to everyone. Jesus' authority is astonishing to hear, awesome to see, and attractive to everyone. You see, we naturally want good churches, good bosses, good kings, good politicians, and good community leaders. We want good authority. They help us create a sense of vision and purpose and action in our life. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is doing. I suggest that people really want a good leader. And Jesus is just that. If Jesus' teaching was so attractive to people, maybe that's what we need. Maybe the way to grow the church, to bring people together, to bring people to Christ, is to commit to Jesus' authoritative teachings and to put Jesus' authority on display so that it's astonishing and amazing to everyone. Because Jesus is our leader. He's the head of this church, and Jesus is the best leader. He has all authority. And the question is, are you going to come to him? Are you going to trust him and follow him? Are you going to obey him and submit to his authority? The demons do. The sickness does. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And on that day, you can be certain that Christ's authority will bring restoration to everything. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that in Jesus you have restored your authority and you are restoring our rebellion against you so that we can come back into your good design, so that we no longer have to fear the effects of sin and death, but knowing that in Christ there's something so much better There's a restoration of all things good and beautiful. We rejoice together in that today, and we praise you that we can trust you enough to follow in your good ways. In Jesus' name, amen.